First reading is Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her, she will not fail, fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice, the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see the works of the Lord, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Second reading is taken from Romans 8, starting at verse 28. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own Son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, friends. My name's Simon. I'm one of the assistant ministers here. It's nice to see you. If I haven't met you, I hope to catch you perhaps over a cup of tea in a few moments' time. Uh, will you join me as we pray uh, to God as we look at his word this morning? Please pray with me. O Lord, we take your word into our hands and we open it this day and we pray that you would take our lives into your hands and you would open them. Lord, we pray this so that there might be a meeting between us, your people, and you, the living God, through the pages of scripture and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, we pray that we might hear you speak this morning and what we hear, Father, we pray that we'd put it into practice and therefore enter into all the blessings that come to those who trust in you. 
Help us to live lives trusting in you and therefore without fear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, one of the things that I love about the Bible, that I love about the Christian faith, is that it doesn't just talk about, it doesn't talk about a different world to the one in which we live. It speaks right into the world in which you and I live. That's the thing I love about Christianity. That's the thing I love about the Bible. We're not here just on Sunday to kind of psych ourselves out of kind of reality, you know, the reality that we live in from Monday through to Saturday, and then sort of go back to normal life and hope that what we learn or do on Sunday kind of has some meaning, adds some value to my life in the next few days to come. There's there's to be no difference between who we are on Sundays and who we are the rest of the week. The Bible never draws us away from the context of real life, living in the real world. You know, we're not called to sort of just believe certain kind of big doctrines or ideas about God or, you know, confess things on a screen up here and, well, the Bible always shows us how those things we believe in connect to real life. So what you believe is actually expressed in the choices, the things we do day to day. We're used to this all the time, aren't we? If there's a certain food or a product that is really dangerous to us or might poison our bodies, we don't eat that. If, if fitness and doing exercise and going to the gym is really good for us and maybe makes us a bit more healthy, then we might do it from time to time. If we believe that our family actually maybe needs a bit more money to survive, we'll actually probably go and pick up a few extra hours at work to meet that need. And if we really believe that God is actively ruling his creation and right down to the nitty-gritty daily things of your and my life, if we really believe that, then we will trust him. Then we'll trust him. And if we don't trust him, it's perhaps because we don't believe in him. You can no doubt recall that account of Jesus stilling the storm. It comes in Mark chapter 4. It's a brilliant passage in Mark chapter 4. Just remember it with me, the time when Jesus stilled the storm. Here, the verses 37 to 40. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern. He was sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and they said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. The wind died down and it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, he said to his followers, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? I've got a bunch of interests in my life and one of those interests is thinking about the relationship between faith and fearlessness. Faith and fearlessness. I know well the theory of it. I'm sure you know the theory of it. You know, there are some kids out there, I know if their dad is, they know if their dad is going to catch them, they will just jump off a high wall into his arms. That's the theory. But for me, and I'm sure for most of you here today also, the practice is much more difficult. 
With my small adult faith, I can't help fearing physical danger, financial precariousness, the hostility that can come from others, or serious illness. And in a sense, that's okay, isn't it? If my faith is in Jesus, it doesn't really matter how feeble my faith is. A mustard seed's worth will do. But I still feel the need to be challenged, to be more confident in my God. And that's where this psalm, Psalm 46, kind of, kind of 46 kicks in for us today. Have a look at your sheet. Let me read it to us one more time. It's a fantastic psalm. Psalm 46. God, for the director of music of the sons of Korah, according to Alamoth, a song. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams may glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see the works of the Lord, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow, shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. You can see at the top there the title of this psalm. Uh, The psalm is not a psalm written by David. It's rather from a hereditary group of temple musicians called the Korahites. And it's a song written for the congregation, for the gang of God's people. The Alamoth is probably a type of musical setting. Ask Dan Optivay, our worship pastor, about that one over a cup of tea at morning tea. The song has three stanzas in it, and each stanza is marked off by that kind of cryptic word, salah, marking the end of each one. It's very easy to work out the structure of this song. And each each stanza has the same theme. So it's even easier. The theme is God is with us. It's kind of fitting for a post-Christmas message, isn't it? God is with us. The theme is stated in verse 1 and recurs again in the chorus of verse 7 and then verse 11. And it's for that reason I like to refer to this psalm as an Emmanuel psalm. God with us, an Emmanuel psalm. And if I was to put a heading on each of the sections, here you are if you're a note taker, this is what I'd do. Section 1 is that the God of creation is with us. Uh, Section 2, stanza 2, the second one, God of salvation is with us. And the third one, the God of judgment is with us. I think it's a very Anglican psalm. Creation, salvation, judgment. There you go. But the question I I want us to keep asking all the way through this psalm as we look at this psalm together, the confidence building question that I want us to think about is this. You know, what sort of God is this God? What sort of God is this God whom we have our faith in? And each stanza explores it 
a different dimension of God's character and his majesty. Let's have a look at the first stanza. The God of creation is with us. The first three verses there are a bit like one of those kind of global catastrophe movies that comes out of Hollywood, you know, like Deep Impact or Armageddon or 27 Dresses. Maybe not 27 Dresses. Or more like a, or like a John Wyndham novel. The language is largely to do with the sea. It's grand and somewhat mythical, these primeval forces that are at play here are tamed by the vast controlled omnipotence that we read of in Genesis chapter 1. You know, this is the God described here in these opening verses. This is the God who for a hundred burning infernos across New South Wales are like just sparks rolling off a log in the campfire. It's any wonder the psalmist says, therefore we will not fear. He wants us to know that when a fire front is roaring up the hill and threatens our house, our security is not in the fire brigade. Rather, it's in the God of volcanoes and supernovas and tidal waves. And just to continue that illustration, does that mean if you're a believer, your house will be spared from that fire? Of course not. God is not your house's refuge and your house is not your refuge. God himself is your refuge and strength. Verse 1 affirms that there is going to be trouble, there will be trouble in our lives. But you have no need to fear it. No need to fear the loss of your house. Will you rejoice if it's lost? Of course not. Will you grieve? Sure. But will you fear? That's what the psalm asks. Will you be insecure? Will you be vulnerable? Will you be exposed or in danger? And the answer to those questions is, of course, no. You lose your security only when you lose your God. The God of creation is with us. What about the second stanza? I love this movement in this psalm. God, the God of salvation is with us. It's like a brilliant tune that drops from the tumultuous waves of sound into the quiet stillness. Like a great Brahms symphony, if you're sophisticated. If you're less sophisticated like me, it'd be like stepping out of a 2020 cricket match with all its kind of chaos and craziness and noise and kind of stupidity into the last day of the fifth test of a series that doesn't really matter anymore. And it's just quiet and there's no one there. That's kind of the movement. Crazy, tumultuous waves crashing to then quietness. Foaming, primal madness. And then you're dropped onto the surface of a stream, a rivulet, which is reflective and tranquil. You know, if the roaring seas of verses 2 to 3 echo Genesis chapter 1, then the quiet stream must echo chapter 2 of Genesis. Remember how a stream flowed out of Eden to give life to the whole world. This sort of picture occurs many times in the Bible, and right at the other end of the Bible, Revelation 22, we see the climactic one with this river that flows through this heavenly city. It's a poetic way of saying this is the centre of the universe. This is the source of life. What makes the city of God so special? Have a look, verse 5. What makes it so special? It's the fact that God 
dwells there. God is there. God in his presence is like the calm centre of a tropical cyclone. And he has deliberately chosen to settle himself over this puny little city of Jerusalem. And as a result of him settling on that little city, that city is absolutely impregnable. What's going around the city, on around the city, is described in verse 6. The poet has chosen his words really carefully here. See it in verse 3, its waters roar, and in verse 6, nations roar. Look at the end of verse 2, the mountains collapse. And then verse 6, kingdoms collapse, or in our translation, kingdoms fall. The words are exactly the same. The poet is picking up on the primeval violence of the chaotic waters and using it here as a metaphor for political turmoil. But he wants to encourage us and the people he's writing to. He wants to say there are no powers on earth, there are no armed forces or military machines that can touch the Lord Almighty or in the original, the Lord of armies. And notice that although kingdoms fall in verse 6, the city of God in verse 5 will not fall. Once again, the same word. And notice in verse 5 that God will help her at break of day. It's an interesting kind of turn of phrase. And this would engender great confidence in one of the original readers, an Old Testament reader. It's an unusual phrase. It's been picked up before, however, in Exodus 14, when the waters of the Red Sea were parted and Israel was saved by God from the oppressive hand of the Egyptians. And so that we don't miss the connection, this language of God being our strength in the midst of roaring waters is also language that Moses used in his song, the song he he sang and led his people in after they were saved from Egypt through the Exodus. This psalm is written to remind the people of God, Israel, that saving his people from military superpowers is something that God has done before. After all, he's the God of hosts. He's the God of armies. It doesn't matter who we have against us as the people of God. No matter what government persecutes the church, no matter what media outlets like The Punch and all of its people marginalise us, or the atheists belittle us, or employers discriminate against us, or laws constrain us, it's irrelevant. Because God is with us. The Lord of hosts whose armies subdue the heavens. The Lord, the God of Jacob, who made him an unbreakable promise long before that nations would serve him and bow down to him. What more reason for confidence Who has more reason for confidence than we do, Christian brother or sister? The God of salvation is with us. Well, the final stanza contains two exhortations. The God of judgment is with us. Verse 8, the first exhortation comes, have a look. He says, come and see. That's the first exhortation. And then in verse 10, be still and know. Uh, the, ver- the first exhortation in verse 8, I think, could almost be called the know your history exhortation. Know your history. This is an interpretation of world history here that you will not find in any other 
historical textbook anywhere. Have a look. Come and see the works of the Lord, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. You know, the works of the Lord that the psalmist is interested in here are the works of judgment. I was reading something just this past week on the partition of India in 1947. That's what I do on my days off. Um, I was reading about the partition of India and we recounted this experience of a Muslim man in Lahore. And he went down to a railway station uh, in Lahore to meet his two sisters. Uh, they were refugees escaping Hindu India. And he walked onto the train when it arrived to find it full of corpses. Every single person on that train had been murdered by Hindu extremists before it arrived. This was a shocking time in our history. Over one million people killed in the process of India getting independence from Great Britain. And we see this all the time, don't we? Human conflicts, awful human conflicts, every night on the television, every day in the, in the newspaper. And we need to know that the hand of God is at work in judgment. We don't know how, I don't know how exactly, but the next verses make it clear that there is a lot of mess and injustice yet to deal with. The words of God, at least in some sense, are actually beyond our comprehension, but the second exhortation says, just, don't just consider the works of God, consider the person as well. He says, be still, be still, and know that I am God. It's a notoriously misunderstood verse, this one. Uh, we, I, have in the past, I'm not alone, um, we love to rip it out of context and make it a call for the Christian person to take time out of a busy day. Uh, be quiet, meditate, focus on God. I've, I've been there. But what God is teaching here to you and to me is that we are to re-experience that transition from verse 3 to verse 4. He breaks the bow, he snaps the shield, he burns the chariot, he comes in judgment, he comes with justice, and then stop and know that I am God. It's like Jesus on the boat in that storm, quiet, be still. Yet to the enemies of God, this verse says there is no point struggling your nations might roar, but the fact that God is God means that you can never, never, never prevail. But of course, brothers and sisters, there is a different message for the people of God here, isn't there? God is saying through this psalm, child of God, don't panic. Do not fear. You know, the principalities and the powers and the governments might send evil in an attempt to destroy you, but the fact that God is God means that there is no evil so diabolical that God doesn't use it for good and fuel it for his praise. There is no limit to the confidence we can have in God. No limit to the confidence we can have in God. There is no situation in your life or a situation that will come in your life so dire that we may not have total calm certainty in God's victory. The ultimate example of this is the evil of the crucifixion. The murder of Jesus, the Son of God, 
who ultimately became the salvation of the world from the clutches of the evil one. Brother and sister, the God of judgment is with us. The God of creation is with us. The God of salvation is with us. And the God of judgment is with us. What great confidence we can have as we live our lives. Let me conclude just by making three observations on this psalm as a whole. Three observations. Firstly, I think it's interesting how this psalm was misunderstood by ancient Israel. I don't want to say that arrogantly, as if I know all the answers and they completely missed the point. But I think they missed the point. Um, I'm thinking particularly of verses 4 and 5. Have a look. Those words of reassurance to Jerusalem. Yeah, the Israelites came to believe that their security lay in the city of Jerusalem. You know, no matter what they did, nothing could get at them behind the walls of that city. But I think what they failed to do is think hard about verse 7. I mean, is it Jerusalem that is their fortress? It's not, is it? It is God who is their fortress. The psalm does not say, be confident in a place. It says, be confident in a presence, be confident in a person. And all the prophets accused Israel of making that mistake. I'm not alone. And in Ezekiel 11, there's that moment, that awful moment, where God's presence leaves Jerusalem. He leaves the temple. And the moment God's presence is withdrawn from amongst his people, that storm that was circulating around the city caused the city to collapse. You know, it's not to say that you are not impregnable when God is with you. We all experience suffering. But the opposite is true. When God is not with you, you have no chance. Like a snowflake in hell. We must ensure that our confidence is not misplaced. We must make sure that we put our trust in God, the God who this psalm talks about. Where is your confidence? Have you let your confidence slip or have you placed your confidence in something else or someone else? Not in the God of creation, the God of salvation, the God of judgment. Secondly then, that's misplaced confidence for the Israelites and we must not do that. But what about us today? God among us today. Where is God's presence among us today? We all know the answer to that. Jesus. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is the creator of all things. Through him and for him were all things created, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the judge of the earth. Jesus is the one exalted among the nations. And he is the one who is exalted in all the earth. A number of months ago, I was speaking to a man. He'd been in India as well. His name was Manoj. He'd been teaching PTC, the, one of the courses from Moore College, and he'd been teaching some courses over in India. He'd come back. His audience was some of the 4,000 Christian evangelists in India who are working to spread the gospel. And he, has, and he was teaching these people. And in the last 15 years, there have been over 20,000 Christian churches planted in India. That's amazing. Who could have imagined back in 1947 at the time of partition, that God's one true king would be exalted by so many Hindu, Muslim, Sikhs. 
I don't know about you, you might get nervous about the prospect of mission, going to the ends of the earth, going to the ends of Kirribilli, going to the ends of Lavender Bay, going into your workplace with the gospel, you know, to cross all those barriers of ignorance and misunderstanding and embarrassment. If you are nervous, be quiet. Be still. Know that God will be God. Whether you are confident or not is, not is largely irrelevant. Just make sure that your confidence is not in yourself. And don't let anything shake your confidence in him. Finally then, notice that at key points this psalm helps us to look forward to the future. Verse 5, God will help her at break of day. I think that's looking forward. Verse 10, I will be exalted among the nations. It's looking forward to the future. God's absolute power does not mean that the world in which we live is a beautiful place and there's nothing wrong with it. I mean, we still are engulfed and circled with chaos all the time. Natural disasters wreak havoc. Hindus still kill trainloads of, of Muslims and vice versa. And the New Testament recognises this. And stunningly, it, it retains the image of the city of God in its vision of the future. The city of God is the place where God dwells with his people. God's presence is, of course, right here with us in this room now, amongst us. God, by his powerful Holy Spirit, but it will not insulate us entirely from suffering and from loss. And there will come a day when God's presence will not even insulate us from death. Yet even then, it will still be true that God is with us. God was with Israel as they passed through the watery grave of the Red Sea. And he was with his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, on the cross. And the great, friends, the great and unique truth of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is that even when everything is stripped from us, we do not fall. What Jesus did in that storm on Lake Galilee, I think, is a foreshadowing of what he will do at the very end of time. As those who receive their baptism in the overwhelming floods of death, he will say, quiet. Just as he will speak to the tumultuous creation and impose on it the tranquility of the new heavens and the new earth. Friends, I hope that today, as you've dwelt with me on Psalm 46, you will take it to heart. I pray that this psalm for you is not just simply something you can recite or read from your Bible day after day, but it's something that will change the way you live. It'll change the way you live, that you won't fear. But you'll end 2012 with absolute rock-solid confidence in your God. And you'll begin 2013 with absolute rock-solid confidence in your God, the God of creation, the God of salvation, the God of judgment. God with us.
God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble, and therefore we will not fear. Please join with me as we pray. Heavenly Father, we praise and thank you for the confidence that we have in you. Father, we thank you for the way that you have cared for us, looked after us, watched over us in the past year. Father, we thank you that you have indeed been for us a refuge and strength and for many of us an ever-present help in trouble. Father, as we move from one year to another, may we not fear, though everything perhaps be stripped away from us, We praise you that even in death you are still with us. And for those of us here today who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, we will dwell in that heavenly city forever and ever. And we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.